You are listening to the Tech Chef Podcast, episode number 44, March 16th, 2021. This show is produced in partnership with Hospitality Technology and Restaurant Technology Network. Smarter hotels, smarter restaurants. This is Toby Malbeck, the Managing Director of Constrata Technology Consulting, and you're listening to Skip, the Restaurant Technology Oracle at the Tech Chef Podcast. Strategy, business continuity. How about a taste test of restaurant technology? Drive through or curbside, mobile apps or AI. It's all on the menu. Cooking up for the day. It's a recipe for success. You're in good hands with a tech chef. Make a plan to be your best. Strategize with the tech chef. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Tech Chef. This is your host, Skip Kimple, and I am here to take you on a ride full of industry technology news related to the restaurant, hotel, and hospitality industry. Now, for those of you returning, thank you for being a faithful fan, and for those of you joining us for the very first time, welcome. I am so glad you found this show. It is exciting to see how this show has grown so rapidly as your weekly industry resource. Again, for those of you joining for the first time, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast software now. For those of you listening on the Apple Podcast application, they no longer call it a subscription. You just click follow. Smart thinking on their behalf, as many people associate a subscription with something that you have to pay for, which in the case of podcast is not true. Podcasts are a free resource for all of you. As a reminder, Mertech is only about one month away, and it will be virtual this year, scheduled for April 13th and 14th. I had somebody recently that was new to the industry ask me what Mertech meant. It stands for the Multi-Unit Restaurant Technology Conference, and it's one of the big ones for the year. You can register online right now at Mertech.com. If you go online, you can check out their schedule of events and start planning on attending sessions that pique your interest. And don't forget about the interactive happy hour at the end of the day on April 13th. Today is another addition to my Rockstar series. Toby Melbeck manages the day-to-day operations for Constrata and works personally with many of Constrata's top clients to help them leverage their technology investments and bring measurable results to the company's business operations. Toby Malbach is an operational technologist who brings over 30 years of technical and operational expertise to his clients. He began his career in the hotel industry, coming up through the operations ranks before getting into the technology domain as hotels were first beginning to embrace the value of technology as a mainstream, affordable operational tool. He was responsible for the design and development of some of the first PC-based property management systems for small to mid-sized hotels, as well as working on the design of early touchscreen-based POS systems. After 10 years of hospitality, Toby was recruited into retail by Saks Fifth Avenue to head up their CRM initiatives and was responsible for designing and managing the development of several key applications, including Saks Track and their eClient book. 
In 2004, Toby assumed the role of Vice President of Business Development for Springer Miller Systems, one of the premier hotel software companies in the world with applications designed for the resort and high-end luxury properties. In 2008, he joined the IPC, which is the Independent Purchasing Cooperative, the franchise-owned arm for Subway restaurants, and was responsible for building and managing the team to build the in-house proprietary restaurant technology platform that would create a standard POS and technology platform for all restaurants worldwide. Subway is the world's largest restaurant chain with over 35,000 units in over 100 countries. I told you we had a rock star on our hands here on this show. We have some very interesting topics we're going to be talking about today from virtual kitchens, where restaurants are headed from a technology front, and we will even touch on the current hiring landscape and what it looks like from a restaurant technology professional's perspective. As always, Toby has great insight and a perspective, and I am so happy he took the time to share his ideas with all of us here today. Thanks. Appreciate you having me on today. Uh, yeah, I, I've spent uh, my entire career since uh, graduating from college in, in the hospitality industry. I consider the lowercase H, you know, but I started in the hotel business for about 10 years and did everything from housekeeping to front office to reservations, obviously food and beverage uh, in the hospitality business and came out of school, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I, I kind of gravitated towards hospitality uh, and never really got away from it. My entire uh, career for the last 35 years has been hotel, food and beverage. Uh, I spent some time in retail with Saks Fifth Avenue and uh, on a number of occasions have jumped across the street to being a supplier, uh, to consulting. And my, my career is pretty much one third, one third, one third in terms of supplier, operator, and uh, and consultants. So uh, it's been a, it's been a great ride. There's a lot of symbolism, uh, you know, uh, comparisons and uh, similarities between restaurant business and the hotel business in terms of the type of people that attracts, the type of operational challenges that they face, and ultimately, in many cases, the type of technology that you find in those uh, in those types of industries. So just to go back to how we met and how we uh, um, became acquainted. So I was working at Anthony's Colfair Pizza. And Ron Danilla was our common denominator. You had worked with Ron in the past when he was over at uh, Morton Steakhouse, I believe. And he he told me, because I was brand new in the restaurant industry at that point. And he's like, listen, um, I'm going to send you down a couple different paths here. And I want you to learn from some of the best. And he introduced me to you and your company. And he brought you in. and we worked together in order to create some IT strategy to to really analyze and whiteboard everything that was going on, the, the technologies we had in place, where we needed to go. And that was really when I, the, it was eye-opening to me in regards to what your company could do and how you could help us grow. So, you know, I, I would think that there's some IT people out there right now that are possibly, you know, have been recommended by their bosses to have consultants come in and they consider it competitive and, you know, are a little nervous about, um, you know, why that's happening. But I have to, I have to reach back out to them and say, you know what, these people are here to help you. You know, a company like you, like, like Constrata is really there to help a company grow. And that was so encouraging to me. You and your team came in 
and really did a fantastic job. And I, you know, that's how we met. Um, that's where I gain respect for what you did and the, the depth of the knowledge that you have. And that's why we're talking here to, that's why we're talking here today. It's really funny, Skip, because early in my career, I had a, a CIO who told me that uh, he looked at consulting with such disdain. And his favorite expression was a consultant is somebody who borrows your watch and then tells you what time it was. And I remembered that from early in my career that I'm never going to get into consulting. And as, a, as my career evolved, I kind of naturally evolved in that direction. And I, I, I always appreciate hearing, you know, when we worked with a client and they, they've derived some, you know, some real value out of the work we do, because we do try to distinguish between operations-based consulting where we get into the business and we really turn over the business. And it's about culture and change management and change management and work process and, and all of those types of things. And then how technology can help that. It's not simply a case where we come in trying to figure out where you need to put in technology. And, and, and as Many of your listeners may know from, from knowing Constrata in the past, we don't sell any product. We don't come in with a, with a bias or any proclivity to, to say that you already need something to be done. We come in with a clean sheet of paper. And so it really is full discovery on every one of those processes. And because the industry, unfortunately, over time is so transient, we do tend to find a lot of CIOs or directors of IT who come from other industries don't necessarily understand the restaurant business and they have a very strong technology background, but not a strong restaurant operations or hotel operations background. And that's, I think, the value that we bring is that we can kind of do that bridge between understanding how operations can leverage technology and then what technology can do to better the business, whether that be through generating additional revenue or controlling costs. And I have to relate a, a recent experience I had where I was talking to a company that they were being guided from an outside IT resource. I mean, he was brilliant. He, he's been a CIO in, in multiple companies and um, he understood the technology piece, but he had never been in the restaurant business, therefore did not understand the nuances of what was happening from a, maybe a vendor perspective or, you know, what was, what was going on within the industry. And I think that was a great detriment to what they were trying to do. And you and I have talked about this on the side, but, um, you know, I think that's the difference between hiring a consultant that does, you know, restaurant technology consulting that has a great, um, background in that versus just a, uh, an IT guru. You know, there's plenty of those people yeah. out there, but there, there are nuances to the restaurant industry that, that people, you know, unless you're in it, you don't get it. Yeah, there, there really is, Skip, and you're right. There are some very tremendously capable people that work in our industry uh, that I would that I hold very, very, you know, highly. Um, but they don't understand the restaurant business. But the, the technology acumen that they bring is in a different area. You know, I, I could do a stock count. I could run a restaurant. I can do a night audit in a hotel. Th those those values are important because I can I can relate when somebody says to me this this process is onerous and we've developed our technology you know or our operations around our old technology and now we're adopting new technology. Why are we adopting it and, and operating in the same manner? And the answer is you don't. So part of that cultural change and procedural changes when the technology changes allow the business operations to to evolve with that as well. So we, I, I, I believe we bring that value and we can go into a restaurant and, and provide a lot of consulting advice that sometimes has nothing to do with, with, with the technology. It has to do with change management or, or resource planning or other types of things. Um, but they look like technology problems when they're originally, when they're originally looked at. 
Yeah, so I don't want this this show to be a, a consulting um, uh, pitch or whatever. I, you've got so much yeah. to offer. I mean, yeah, everybody knows your name. You're you're kind of like Norm. Um, so um, so let let's let's get into a few things which I really want to pick your brains on. Um, which is, you know, what are some of the industry trends that you're seeing? that are possibly going to happen post-COVID. I've had some very interesting discussions recently with some thought leaders in the industry where there's going to be a mix between, you know, uh, uh, COVID, you know, contactless concepts and maybe some new technologies that are coming on board, whatever. But what are you seeing as far as down the road? I mean, we're close. I believe from a... From a, you know, weather perspective where, you know, up north, the restaurants are going to start opening up in, in regards to, you know, their outdoor seating. We've got the, the vaccine happening, which every day that that happens, um, and more people are getting vaccinated, we're going to see more and more people in the restaurants. It just, it's just natural. So what are you seeing post COVID? What, what do you see coming up the um, pipeline that restaurants should be aware of and concentrating on? Yeah. Well, I think it's important to to temper our excitement. I actually live in Texas, and I know that uh, you know, we've lifted our COVID restrictions, I think, as of today or, or even yesterday. But that doesn't suddenly change people's behavior. You know, we, this recovery is going to be evolutionary, not revolutionary. It's going to take a great deal of time. Um, we've been told for the last 18 months to be very, very careful. And now that all of a sudden there's a there's a glimmer of hope and, you know, obviously with with uh, with treatment there and, and the the uh, the mortality rates dropping, everybody is very encouraged by that. But we're not going to change the consumer's behavior overnight any more than we change their behavior going into the COVID situation. So I would anticipate that, um, you know, end of second quarter, beginning of third quarter, we're going to start to see that pick up. And I think by the end of the year, dare I say, we'll be back to probably close to where we were before all of this started. Now, with that being said, there is a certain percentage of people that may never set foot in your restaurant again, which is why the omni-channel experience of being able to market to them either online or through other means has, has had such value and such importance. And those organizations that had the prerequisite technology in place to be able to leverage that quickly um, benefited. Um, or survived, um, although many did actually benefit during the during the COVID situation. What you found was the organizations that had made investments in cloud-based technologies, cloud-based point of sale that allowed for integration to be much easier, were able to benefit from that. Now, one of the things that I've, I've contended for a while, and, and we try to look at things, you know, looking forward as opposed to kind of looking back and, and analyzing what did happen. We, we are, we're a forward-looking organization. And one of the things that we've, we've talked about for a while is really maximizing and leveraging if you have a loyalty program in place to start to lean on that loyalty lever and pull those people back into your world in some way, shape, or form. And we can talk about loyalty, Skip, at some point in time, but loyalty in our mind is more around recognition than it is about giving stuff away for free. Um, but once you start to leverage your loyal base of customers, 
that have been fans of yours, you can start to bring them back in in, in a safe environment, uh, make them feel comfortable that things have changed. The optics should be there to show that things have changed. We've talked about some of these in some of the publications and some of the articles we've written in HT, whether that be you know removing um, things from the table like salt and pepper shakers or um, not having uh, paper uh, menus and things like that. The optics should certainly show people that you've taken a very concerted uh, and conscious, conscientious effort to clean up the restaurant. Uh, the other thing I think we're going to start finding is that COVID in many people's minds also drew a direct correlation to things like food safety and traceability and supply chain um, and, and things of that nature. And although there's not a really clear medical distinction to say that COVID can be transmitted, um, you know, through foodborne, uh, you know, things, what we find is that, that it's just a health and well-being kind of uh, initiative. So we're starting to see a lot more adoption of things like traceability of ingredients. Where did they come from? Did they break the cold chain? Um, how about food safety? Do we have Bluetooth monitoring? Uh, I, I heard um, on one of your recent podcasts, I think it was Chef Robert Irvine, talk about, you know, even things like cameras in the kitchen so we can see how the production of the food is taking place. Because the optics are we want to show a customer that we are serious about food safety and we've taken those steps to do so. So I think things like food safety, supply chain uh, tracking and management, uh, better control of the cold chain, um, I think you're going to see those things. And, and really the leveraging of loyalty, a.k.a access to data and using data are going to be some of the big initiatives we're going to see in 2021 and moving forward. So first of all, you gain brownie points for um, the fact that you listened to one of my previous episodes with Chef Robert Irvine. So, <laughs> you know, right there, you're, you're going up on my scale in regards to one of my best guests ever. Um, but let's dig into loyalty for a second, because uh, you and I had talked about previously about third-party delivery and the future of it. You're not a big third-party delivery fan, and I know loyalty is rare. And I'm 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 kind of in the same in the same camp in regards to loyalty can really drive more business than third-party delivery. Obviously, from a profitability perspective, but let's let's talk about some of those different aspects where loyalty is really not about giving stuff away, like you said. It's more of a recognition program. So. Maybe you can kind of talk about that a little bit in regards to your viewpoint in regards to how loyalty can really help a business uh, move forward. Sure. Well, first, quick history. 9-11 was a, was a killing uh, force for the hotel industry. And anybody who does work in the hotel industry knows the hotel industry suffered just you know, incredible, incredible losses when 9-11 occurred. And obviously, much like COVID, air travel stopped, business travel stopped. And a lot of the hotels to survive made deals with these third-party aggregators. You may know them as Travelocity or Expedia or Orbitz or Booking.com. And what happened was they all made very draconian deals with them where they would give them best pricing, uh, almost a full run of the house in terms of availability. Fast forward years later, the only people making money in the hotel industry were these third-party aggregators, these, these uh, online travel agents. Because Expedia's and the Booking.com's were charging such exorbitant fees that they uh, they were the only ones making money. If you went on uh, an online search engine and looked for a hotel in, in Munich, Germany, the first full page, you didn't find a hotel. You only found Expedia and Orbitz and Travelocity and, and Booking. 
they were out SEOing any hotel chain. So how did the hotel chains fight back? The secret weapon was loyalty. And what the hotel said is we can do things with our loyalty that don't break our contracts with the OTAs, but still allow us to be competitive and start to erode that market share. So instead of somebody going to Expedia and booking that hotel in Barcelona, maybe they'll just go to Marriott.com because they'll get double points. Or as a result of being in the loyalty program, they get an automatic upgrade. Now, the OTAs were not happy about that because they believed they'd really lasso these hotel chains into this subservient kind of relationship. But the hotels fought it. Fast forward to three or four years ago, and the restaurant industry fell into the same trap and into the same hole, except the companies weren't called Orbitz and Expedia and Travelocity. They were called Grubhub and DoorDash and Uber Eats and many others. And the restaurants did the right thing for all the wrong reasons. They looked at it and said, this is too much of a hassle for us to do delivery. How bad could it be? And the revenue was astounding. And the revenue that, that these restaurants generated through third-party delivery was amazing. And then one day the CFO walked in and said to the CEO, you know, we're not making any money on this business, right? This is purely pass-through. And all of a sudden the revelation was, oh, my God, we can't do without third-party delivery, but we can't afford to do it. And so the restaurant industry found themselves in the exact same boat as the hotel industry did at, at, during 9-11. So that history lesson being said, the restaurant industry can leverage many of the same levers that the hotel industry did, and loyalty is one of them. And the idea is it's not a case where you want to start to, to marginalize your food costs by giving food away, especially in a franchised environment. Franchisees are, are hard to sell a, a loyalty program to because every one of them will tell you that people spend money somewhere else, but they redeem with them. <laughs> That's the, the common argument you hear everywhere. Plus, many people will tell you that it's very hard to put together an ROI on a loyalty program. And I would contend that is true. So let's not look at a loyalty program as, as what I call a hamster wheel approach that you buy for, you get one free, you buy for, you get one free. Because not only does that teach bad behavior, but it also erodes your profit margins. So how about we look at loyalty as a less of a non, more like a non-linear type of relationship where the guest feels like for some reason, you know an awful lot about them, which they like. It's not creepy, but they like it. And there are enough rewards that keep them coming back and that are targeted enough that they realize you know what they like and they don't like. You know, the retail industry has done a really nice job with this, if you think about it through the years, where if you go in and buy a, a six-pack of a certain beer, then when at checkout, they'll give you a uh, – a coupon for maybe a 12-pack of the same beer. Why? Because they know you like that beer and they're trying to move you up market. They're trying to get you to purchase more. So the idea is that using data and using data to leverage within my loyalty system, I can make it a recognition program and not a giveaway. And the value that, that, derive, that the customer derives from that will be even better than if I'd given them something for free. Completely agree. Um, I think that... Um, from a loyalty perspective, it's, it's not, a, it's not about giving stuff away. It's about understanding your guest. Here's a, a simple story that happened years ago. And it remind it, this is a story from Target. Target had a, uh, membership program where they would track basically every purchase that you made and they would, you know, send you coupons or discounts based upon, um, uh, you know, your purchases. So there was a case where there was a father 
which sued Target because they had sent their 16-year-old daughter uh, birth control advertisements through the Target app. And he's like, what are they doing? What are they talking about? The amazing part is that Target was tracking purchases that that individual had made, that daughter that had made those decisions at 16 years old. And based upon what she was purchasing, they were able to determine that she was potentially pregnant. And guess what? She became pregnant. And that lawsuit fell through because um, they were able to determine that this was actual information that actually happened. And, you know, the, just from data statistics and, and um, data gathering, they were able to, you know, figure this out, which is very scary, you know, if you think about it. I mean, this is, this is years ago. This is not recent where we have AI working on the whole scenario. This is just through trends of, you know, purchasing. But, um, you know, the loyalty aspect you know, let's take a completely different swing on this. Based upon what you're buying, um, there's so many opportunities out there to pitch to that guest. Here's what you should be, here's what we know you're going to like. You may have not ordered this before, but you know what? Based upon your, your history, I think, I think you're going to like this, uh, this pulled pork sandwich. It's, it's amazing because I, I spent many years with Saks Fifth Avenue, uh, and and many of you know Saks Fifth Avenue is a, is a very high end apparel uh, reseller, uh, retailer rather, and we developed a what we called at that time a client book system. Now uh, initially the client book system allowed you to, and this is many many years ago, so you'll have to put up with the the, the technology limitations, but we would track what people liked. And so a uh, Skip Kimball would come in and we'd say, so what, what fashion designers do you like? And the Skip would come in and say, I'm a big Hugo Boss fan. Okay. So, so every time we had a Hugo Boss sale, one of our, one of our salespeople would call up Skip and, you know, Skip never come in, came in and purchased the thing. And we'd sit and scratch our heads and we couldn't figure it out. And as years went by, we started to collect data. And while it may very well be true that Skip likes Hugo Boss, the reality is he buys Van Heusen. So let's stop sending him Hugo Boss stuff because while in his, in his wildest dreams, he may believe that he's going to be a Hugo Boss customer. And if he ever wins the, the lottery, he'll do so. But the reality is he's a Van Heusen customer. And when we get Van Heusen in, that's when we should be calling him. And that's when the aha moment changed within loyalty. When we stopped telling people what we thought we liked and what we thought we wanted, and we started to use actionable data to see what people really did. So to your pulled pork story, if I normally order pulled pork, but I think that, you know, that may not be considered appropriate because, you know, most of the people that know me, I think I'm a vegan. Well, the reality is I like pulled pork. And the the, the chance of me moving upstream with you or, or a bigger basket will be if you include things that I really do like, not things that I say that I like. Toby, I know we've got a limited time together. So, I, man, you, you and I could have like a three-hour podcast here without a problem. I want to dig into a little and bit. And you lose your entire listening chip, hey, but that's okay. I did that. Yeah, still, that's okay. We still have a great time. You still have a great time. Exactly. I don't care about anybody else listening. Well, I take that back. But um, so for a second, let's just talk about virtual kitchens, ghost kitchen trends. Um, I know that that's a hot topic on the menu for everybody out there. What What's your thought process on those? Well, ghost kitchens and, and, and virtual brands and virtual kitchens have, have really kind of come into their own during this period of time. We have many of our clients who 
had business operations that were very heavily hit by COVID because they were either buffet brands or sit-down brands, and they really needed to find a way to get their product out to the marketplace. And so whether that's through creating a virtual brand that um, allowed them to sell a, a niche product within their uh, product set. And by the way, the, the best way that virtual brands work is if you're not adding tons of SKUs. If you've got to go recreate your product and add a ton of SKUs and overhead, it's not always as, as useful or as effective as if you're just taking a, a portion of your menu and rebranding it as a separate as a separate brand entity. But Ghost Kitchens did very, very well because they allowed you to set up a, a, a mechanism by which it was easier to either have a pickup model or a delivery model. Now, as we start to come out of COVID and the customer behaviors um, revert to some degree, will Ghost Kitchens lose some of their some of their flavor? Maybe that maybe they will. You know, there's no there's no marketing capability for for a Ghost Kitchen, right? You can't you're not going to be driving down the street and say, oh, there's a Ghost Kitchen for X Y Z brand. We really should go there. So it really is predicated completely on the ability to be marketed online, and whether that's you marketed online through your own URL or your own website, or you're then reliant on the third-party deliveries to do it. But keep in mind the third-party deliveries, and this, is, this isn't meant to be a, a pylon for the third-party deliveries, but they're in business to perpetuate their business. So if somebody goes on Grubhub one day and orders your product and has a bad experience, it's not that Grubhub is going to take the hit, you are. So the next time they go on, they're going to go to Grubhub again. They're just not going to choose you. So it's really important to understand that it really is not a mutually beneficial relationship. It's more of a parasitic relationship. So you need to figure out ways to make sure that your business is promoted by you outside of those channels. So whether it's a ghost kitchen, whether it's brick and mortar, whether it's food truck, there's all kinds of new ways that we're going to start to see people market their food. One of them that's starting to become more and more common are, are kind of mobile restaurants, right? As we start to see the, the perpetuation and the table stakes that cloud-based point-of-sale systems will become, there's nothing to stop me from opening a pop-up restaurant in a, you know, in a baggage claim area in an airport or in the lobby of a, large, uh, of a large corporate building for three hours in the morning where I take orders and then we come back at lunchtime and deliver them or use some form of storage capability like a food locker to put them in. So the world is going to change because the behavior of the world has been upset. And now we're going to try to find some new equilibrium, which won't be people just returning to their normal state. Well, and that goes back to your conversation about loyalty and third-party delivery and the offset of that piece, because with delivery as a service, you know, if you're offering through your own website, you know, your own online ordering system where you're collecting your own data on your own guests and offering delivery, but, you know, using, you know, DoorDash or, or Postmates as your last mile delivery partner, um, it gives you the opportunity to collect all that data that you need to allow the guests to be able to um, take advantage of loyalty and um, gift cards, you know, internal to gift cards, et cetera. Those are all things that the third-party delivery companies do not offer. So I think there's there's some huge advantages there from a, from a loyalty perspective, tying it into delivery as a service. Right. And as you're making those decisions, ask yourself the fundamental question. If, you, if you're working through a third-party delivery, ultimately, whose customer is it? Who owns that customer? 
Um, if, if you're uh, getting an order one every three occasions that they order from Grubhub, are they really a customer of yours or are they really a customer of Grubhub's? So it really is important. Now, some, some organizations are small. They, they believe that they can't manage that delivery mechanism themselves and manage those. I would contend that the technology has improved dramatically to the point where the technology aspects can be managed without going through a third party. There are, uh, there are reach, um, you know, opportunities that these third-party delivery provide. But if you do a good job marketing your restaurant and, again, farming your loyalty uh, customers, I believe you can do pretty well and the margins are much healthier. Completely agree. I, there's, there's there's actually no question about that. <laughs> it's just a matter of how you make it work. What, what tech stack do you have in place in order to make that happen? And really, how do you make it happen? You need to have the plan in place and the strategy behind it, which is why you would hire a consulting company such as Constrata in order to make that that happen and make that clear to the decision makers of a company. So quick question for you also. So this has been a very tough year, obviously, for everybody out there on the market. And I know a lot of good friends of mine that have lost their positions with companies. From a hiring standpoint, I mean, you're, you're dealing with a, a, a myriad of companies what are companies currently looking for in leaders from a IT perspective? It's interesting because it really has changed for the year, Skip, and it's a, it's a great question to ask now because unfortunately, uh, COVID had a lot of IT casualties, which is which is really unfortunate because I would contend that one of the major reasons that restaurant companies, the ones that did survive, survived. Was because of the uh, because of the Herculean efforts, the heroic work done within the IT groups and the people that that took on some of those uh, those challenges. So unfortunately, uh, IT staffs did take a, a pretty heavy hit, as did many of the organizations, operational parts of the organizations. With that being said, as as the restaurants are starting to recover now, people are looking for kind of a kind of a Swiss Army knife. I think that the ideas. Uh, of the past where a restaurant would bring in somebody who understood network or network security or firewalls. I think that, that most organizations have realized now that those types of services and those types of skill sets, while incredibly important and coveted, uh, are found in, in almost any industry, right? You don't have to be a restaurant expert to understand firewalls or to understand networking or, or even PC computing or desktop support or things like that. So what we're finding is that organizations are looking to leverage a, a kind of a contractual relationship for things like that and are looking to bring in an IT person who understands at least some semblance of restaurant technology and is more of a strategic thinker. Uh, who's a business analyst who understands how to work with other parts of the organization. Now, We've talked about this, you and I, before in the past, but organizations need to look beyond IT being a cost center and need to look at it as part of a strategic differentiation within their business. I would contend for years, and, and hopefully no CFOs will take exception to this, but IT organizations that report to CFOs typically are looked at as a cost uh, as a cost component or a, a cost uh, item on the ledger. Whereas if they report to the CEO or the CMO or the director of operations or COO, they're perceived more as being part of the restaurant solution or as, as part of the, the ability to generate revenue and contain costs. So organizations are starting to look at people that are more, uh, more forward thinking, 
uh, more ta- more strategic versus tactical, and that understand the restaurant business and can in- and can relate to people, because as we've seen in the restaurant industry, the technology out there, there's so many different flavors of it. You need to bring in a person who can manage contracts, manage timelines, help to negotiate contracts, um, and have a more forward-looking aspect or perspective in terms of helping the business uh, run and operate. Well, I think IT has become a strategic advantage for new revenue streams coming into a restaurant. So I, I am firmly in confirmation with you in regards to that IT is, they need a seat at the table when it comes down to a senior level discussion about how we proceed forward because IT touches everything currently in the restaurant industry and that should not be forgotten and it should not be put you know to the side. It really is a critical piece of of the success or failure of a company, and I, I don't I don't put that lightly. I don't I don't say that just because I'm in the IT business, but it, it's a truth, and I think you know everybody I've talked to really truly believes that. And the IT organization should really be one that is is embedded, if you will, into all aspects of the organization. We we propose whenever we're dealing with especially larger organizations to, to make sure that the IT staff and the IT team knows what operations is doing and marketing is doing and, and distribution is doing all the different aspects. And, and even if it doesn't have a, 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 a technology piece to it, understand where they're going and understand what's being done because ultimately there may very well be a technology element to that. So whether that's online ordering, supply chain, uh, distribution, uh, food safety, video surveillance, marketing through digital menu boards, um, the online app and and, uh, SEO, loyalty, all of them have uh, their roots and operational bias, but they require technology to operate effectively. 100%. IT, ops, marketing, they're the three-legged stool to success of of a restaurant organization. All right, Toby, we're almost out of time. So I I did not prepare you for this, but we have, I've got some questions for you, a little section where I call this or that. So I'm going to throw two options at you. You give me the first one that comes to your mind and uh, we'll dig into it from there. Fire away. All right. Soft tacos or crunchy tacos? Oh, soft, soft tacos. Soft tacos. Why is that? Final answer. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> anybody who knows me knows I have terrible teeth and I don't have any overbites. So hard tacos are, are, are dentally dangerous to my health. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Beer or cocktails? And I got to choose, huh? You, you, you have I'm to gonna choose. I'm going to go with a, a, a micro, a micro brew. Micro brew. What's your, what's your favorite micro brew um, out there? Uh, I'm a big Magic Hat fan out of Vermont, yeah, I and you. I like, um, yeah, that's that's probably. And then there's uh, a couple out of Northern Michigan that are pretty nice too. Okay, so. Popeyes or KFC? Oh, that's brutal. You know what? I'm going to take the party line because we we had a long and healthy relationship uh, with Popeyes, ah, and I, I got to know the people there okay. and the product and the quality. Going to go Popeyes for fifty, Alex. All right, so you know. You got to you got to walk the line there. I understand. Um, bacon or sausage? Oh, easy, easy. I'm a big sausage guy. It's a, it's an argument we have every Sunday at this house because <laughs> my wife's a big bacon fan, but I do the sausage. So, uh, gonna have to go sausage. 
So last question, and you know, this kind of relates back to, I looked at my calendar this week, this Monday, and popped up on my calendar was my save the date reminder for Murtech. We were supposed to be at Murtech right now in Las Vegas at the Paris Hotel, um, where, you know, last year we were trying to figure out what even COVID meant at that point. Um, so let's, let's say we're out of the COVID scenario, high five or handshake. 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 Absolutely. I, 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 I can't wait for the world to return to the upright and locked position. I, and, and to your yes. point, Murtech was the last thing that I did before COVID locked us down. And we all looked at each other and said, well, you know, we'll, we'll let this pass and we'll get back together at the end of summer. And boy, um, it's, it, this has been a tough ride for, well, obviously for the health of the, of the country of the world. Um, and I, I can't wait to get back to the real world and, and, and the civility and, and, you know, all of the things that made this such a great industry. I agree. I can't believe it was a year ago. I remember you coming up to me. Um, I think the, some of the, uh, we had some people, some of our colleagues that were being honored for some awards on the last day before we all headed out and we were all waiting for our flights and everybody's flights were being canceled because they had just announced at that point in time that COVID was a pandemic and, you know, we were having these micro sessions at Murtech in regards to what that meant. And we were all sitting there going, oh, we don't, we don't know what that means. You know, we're, we're, we're faking it at this point because we had, we had no clue what was in store for us. So, um, that was an interesting time. I'm hoping we are past that. And the next time, uh, you know, I'm hoping, hoping that, you know, another few months from now at the end of the year, we're in a better position where we can start start getting back together again because the networking piece of our industry is so critical that that's one thing that I've missed. And I, you know, quite honestly, that's one of the reasons why I started this, this podcast is, you know, I started it back in June where I was missing the interaction with my colleagues from a networking perspective, from a learning from vendor perspective. I really felt like I needed to stay on top of the industry. And that was my way of being able to do that. So, you know, maybe that dies away. I don't know at the, you know, in the long run when we all get back together again, but um, it's going to be a great day when we can all, you know, say cheers to each other and uh, get back to where we used to be. I'll drink to that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Toby, for your time uh, with our listeners today. In the future, if you feel there's anything or something that you feel is important to our industry, please feel free to use this as a platform and an opportunity to get your point across. Uh, Once again, thank you for your time, and please keep in touch, my friend. You are an awesome guest. People love to hear from you, so you are invited here at any point in time on The Tech Chef. Thanks, Skip. I appreciate the time, and uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we get a chance to chat again in the future. All the best to you. Toby, as always, you prove to be a rock star with your insight, and it is always interesting to hear your perspective on the restaurant technology landscape. Obviously, as a consultant, you get exposure to a great many things that organizations are looking for and looking at. Sharing your knowledge and your experience is valuable to all of us and very much appreciated. I just wanted you to know that. If you'd like to reach out to me, You can do so by anything social, really. You can reach out to me at everythingsocial at Skip Kimple via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. 
Go to the website at skipkimple.com or you can get the show notes to this show and every other show I've produced. You can also call our comment hotline at 954-302-0851. Another big, big episode next week as I have my friends from Brinker International on the show to talk about their virtual brand initiatives. Brinker hit the headlines pretty heavily when they launched this back towards the end of June, when other companies were struggling to figure out their next move in the middle of COVID, Brinker announced this was going to bring in an additional $150 million to their organization. Talk about headlines. Joining me on the show to talk about this will be the CIO, Pankaj Pantra, and the Senior Vice President and Head of Innovation, Wade Allen. Like I said, a very big show. So until next Tuesday, say it with me. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay hungry, my friends. Hold up. 